Great to see you, Purpose Church, and happy Palm Sunday. Uh, we're going to have such a great time together in God's Word. But before we get into our study, I want to just give one final challenge uh, for us to strategically use this next week to bring our family and friends closer to Jesus. Uh, four of the best opportunities of the year for inviting our oikos to church are this next weekend. Oikos, the Greek word for household, meaning the 8 to 15 and what we call your sphere of influence. People you do life with, uh, you go to school with, or you work with, or in your family, or in your neighborhood. Uh, opportunity number one is Friday night at 7 p.m. is our Good Friday service, and this is going to be a wonderful time together. Child care is provided in the nursery through age five, and I'm going to be preaching on Friday night, Good Friday service, on the one Greek word that changed all of history and eternity, and it's tetelestai. Tetelestai, which translated into English is three words, it is finished. And so would love to have you come and bring a friend with you uh, to the Good Friday service on Friday night. And then uh, the next three opportunities, then Sunday morning at 8.30, uh, 10 and 11.30, we will have three identical Easter services. At the 8.30 service, childcare is provided in the nursery through age five. And then at the 10 and 11.30 services, we're going to have full children's programming with nationally renowned musical artist Jana Alira is going to be here. And that is going to be through fifth grade and junior high programming through eighth grade. And all of that programming uh, for children and junior high uh, will be completely full programming at the 10 and 11.30 uh, services. It is going to be a great time for our kids and our students as well. Uh, for everybody, we're going to have free Krispy Kreme donuts and free hot or iced coffee. Uh, also, would you please clean us out of Easter promotional material? Drop by the office this week and just pick up anything we have left. Uh, I just praise God that you've done that already. We ordered uh, what we gave out last year, and you cleaned us out the first week. So we reordered a second time, and you cleaned us out again. So now we've reordered. And so clean us out a third time. And I'm just so grateful for how you've done that with posters and bumper stickers and invitation uh, cards. And let's do everything we can to invite uh, our friends and to get the word out into the community for just a tremendous Easter Sunday. And then we need hundreds of volunteers to reach thousands of people. And uh, here are some of the needs that we still have. We still need ushers for 8, 30, and 10. We also need a few more greeters and baptism volunteers for all three services. So just um, go to uh, purposechurch.com slash Easter, and there'll be a spot there where you can scroll down and, uh, and sign up for one of those opportunities. We need, again, hundreds of volunteers in order to reach thousands of people on Easter Sunday. And then we're going to have baptisms on Easter. And if you're interested in, in being baptized on, on Easter Sunday, this is a great day to do it. Do you know that in the early church, in the early centuries of the church, sometimes they would save up all the people during the year and everybody would get baptized on Easter Sunday. Now we do baptisms anytime, anywhere throughout the year. 
But there is something special about that historical tradition of being baptized on Easter Sunday where you symbolize on that day going under the water, uh, dying with Christ, and then coming out of the water, rising again with Christ. Now, if you're interested in baptism, you don't need to go to this class. You can just show up on Easter Sunday. We've got to change of clothes for you. You can, you can just show up on, on Easter Sunday. But if you'd like to learn more before that, we do have a baptism class on Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday night at 7 p.m. in the H building. And so we've, we've got it for children, we've got it for students, we've got it for adults, and you meet all together in the H building and then the students will go to their class and the adults to theirs and the children to theirs. So really encourage you, if you've never taken that stand for Christ, uh, Easter Sunday is a great, great day to do that. Maybe you wanna rededicate yourself. Uh, you did it once years ago. But you've been through some things in your life. And just like uh, renewing wedding vows, you want to renew your baptismal commitment uh, to following after Jesus. Now let me give you a picture of what our church is all about, especially leading up to, church, uh, to Easter. Um, a picture's worth a thousand words. Let me just give you a picture. Uh, this past Tuesday, I had our church staff uh, meet in Lincoln Park here in Pomona, uh, to start our monthly uh, staff rally. And we met by the brand new statue of Harriet Tubman that's there in the middle of Lincoln Park. Now, Harriet Tubman was an on-fire Christian, and, uh, but she was uh, in slavery in the state of Maryland. And she escaped in, in her 20s. And they told her, Follow the North Star. And so this uh, shows her pointing uh, to the North Star. And they, they said, Fo follow the North Star to freedom. You could only travel at night for fear of people of being recaptured. And so they said, just look for the North Star every night, follow the North Star, and you'll eventually come to freedom. And so she walked the 90 miles to the Pennsylvania border. And then once she had gained freedom, she spent her life guiding other people to follow the North Star uh, to freedom as well. Uh, she said at the base of the uh, statue, it says, God's time is always near. He set the North Star in the heavens. He gave me the strength in my limbs. He meant that I should be free. And so God had placed the North Star there um, um, uh, eons before she came on the scene. And there was that North Star uh, provided for her to follow her way to freedom. And that is exactly what we are doing this week and throughout the year. We have followed the North Star Jesus to freedom. And now, like Harriet Tubman, we go back and we do everything we can to bring other people and point them to the North Star as well so that they can have freedom in Christ as well. That is the purpose statement for Purpose Church Everyone everywhere following Jesus. And by the way, just final one final footnote, since this is Women's History Month, uh, Harriet Tubman was the first woman to lead an armed assault during the Civil War. So she not only guided people for freedom, she fought for freedom. First woman in the Civil War to ever uh, lead an armed assault in which she stormed this particular uh, fortress and rescued 75 slaves that were there.
Now, today we're continuing our 2023 series in which we cover the 66 books of the Bible in 52 weeks. And the title of our series is Jesus on Every Page. And the title of the section that we're finishing today, the Old Testament historical books, is No Perfect People Allowed. Now, when Pastor Claire said last week, and she did a phenomenal job on the book of Esther, uh, she said that Esther was the last of the historical books. She was absolutely right, and I am absolutely wrong. But I wanted to fudge a little bit here because I wanted to start a new section after Easter. So we could talk about it at the Easter services. Next week, we're starting a new series within a series and starting a new section on the poetic books called God's Playlist. And we will start that the Sunday after Easter. Uh, but Job has some history in it, as well as mainly poetry. And so we're just going to, for the sake of this series, to have it fit in our calendar this year, we're just going to uh, have Job join the last of the historical books. And then the Sunday after Easter, we will start into the books of poetry. The title for today's study is Job, Jesus, Our Suffering Savior. Now, the background for Job is that it takes one hour and 46 minutes to read it from cover to cover. Uh, its content is that it is a brilliant wrestling with the issue of the suffering of the righteous and the justice of God, while also speaking to the larger question, where is wisdom found? Its date is that the story takes place in the period of the patriarchs. There were three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so around 1800 uh, B.C. So it's most likely uh, written around 1800 B.C., which makes it the first book of the Bible to be written down. We believe it to be the first book of the Bible uh, that was written down uh, chronologically. Now, Genesis writes about the earliest events in history, the creation of the universe, but it wasn't written down by Moses until around 1400 B.C. So we believe that Job was written 400 years before the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now Job also talks about the creation of the universe in chapters 38 through 42. And then we have its emphasis. Wisdom is ultimately found in God alone. Human wisdom cannot on its own fathom the ways of God. Undeserved suffering has no easy answer. God is not obligated to fallen human beings who explain all things. The fear of the Lord is the path to true wisdom. So we start our story uh, today with the suffering of Job. Job uh, chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. He had a, a custom to regularly pray for his ch children, to pray for his family on a regular basis. 
One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. Now, Satan in the Hebrew uh, literally means an adversary. So Satan in Hebrew, adversary or adversary uh, comes before God. It says, uh, Satan answered the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Uh, Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth in it. Verse eight, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. Can you imagine God bragging about you, bragging about me? He, he, he brags over us and says, have you seen Job? And, and when we follow him in obedience, we have God in heaven bragging over those that follow him. Uh, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright a man who fears God and shuns uh, evil. What, what an amazing thing to think that they're talking about you. They're talking about you in, in heaven. Uh, heaven is holding uh, conversations about you right now. Angels have been assigned to you. The Father is at work on your behalf. Rest on that friends. Kimberly sent this to me uh, this, uh, this past week. Uh, let's go back to that one more time. Heaven is holding conversations about you right now. Angels have been assigned to you. The Father is at work on your behalf. Rest on that. Now here's something Kimberly also sent to me, and this is an esoteric uh, illustration, uh, uh, meme uh, for the English majors of Purpose Church. The devil whispered in my ear, you're not strong enough to withstand this storm. I whispered back, you're. Now, I have to admit, I had to stare at that for about a minute before I got the joke, but that one I just threw in there for all of you um, uh, English majors out there at Purpose Church, Satan said you're when it should have been Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. All right, well, let's, 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 continue, let's continue on. Uh, Job 1, verse 9. Uh, continuing with verse 9 in chapter 1, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face, which many people do. Many people follow God as long as uh, it seems like he's blessing them as long as things are going well. But when then things turn bad in their lives, they turn around and they curse God. Some people, when they go through hard times, it brings them closer to God. Uh, they become better in their walk with God. Other people become bitter and turn against God and curse him uh, to his face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, Everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. You are immortal until your work for God is done. Uh, Satan can't touch you. You can't die. You are immortal. You will never die until God says your work for him is over. Time is over. Time to take you to heaven. And it says here, you better not put a finger on him unless I say so. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, 
The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said the fire of God fell down from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship, in worship, and said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And so he enters this period of intense suffering, but he perseveres through it. And next we see in the story, the perseverance of Job. He persevered in spite of that suffering. It says in chapter two, verse one, on another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them to present himself before them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Sometimes the people closest to us will be the most discouraging to us when we go through a time of suffering. He replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. 
Now, this is uh, wonderful what these friends do for him. They agree with each other. Let's go together and let's encourage our friend Job. And uh, and here are the steps that they took, and it's a good lesson for us. And this has been approved by Rhonda Brake, who's the leader of our grief share ministry here at Purpose Church. Here's what they did. Um, It says, grieve with them. That's what they did. Be available to them. That's what they did. Pray for them. That's what they did. But don't preach at them. Uh, When you have a friend that's going through a hard time, grieve with them. Be available to them to the amount that they want you to or how you can be helpful. Pray for them, but don't preach at them. Now, unfortunately, preaching at him, Job, is unfortunately what his friends proceed to do for most of the rest of the book. Uh, They preach at him rather than continue to grieve with him, be available to him, sit with him, pray for him. Uh, they began to preach at him. But, to, but in spite of that, Job perseveres because of his hope in his coming Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Here's a picture of Jesus. Jesus shows up in the first book of the Bible, the first one ever written down, 1800 B.C. Jesus shows up, Job 19, verse 25. I know that my Redeemer lives. He perseveres because of his hope in his coming Redeemer, Jesus Christ. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. I know that my Redeemer lives. And the hope of his Redeemer, Jesus Christ, is what helped Job uh, fixing his eyes on that Redeemer and on the hope of that Redeemer, uh, allowed him to persevere through the suffering to the victory of Job. Skipping to the end of the book now, Job 42, verse 10. After Job had prayed for his friends in spite of how they had made his life miserable. He prays for him. The Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. Now this is uh, fascinating right here, and it gives us another picture of Jesus in the book of Job, was in the way he treated women. In the same way that Jesus was, was, was so kind and loving, um, so, so beyond the culture in which he lived uh, in the way that he treated uh, the women around him. It's one of the earmarks of Jesus' ministry. In the same way, the book of Job puts the focus on Job's daughters and doesn't say a word about his sons. And here's the important part. Job gives his daughters an inheritance 
along with their brothers, which never happened in, in the world at, at that time. As a matter of fact, this didn't happen in the United States until a law that was called the Married Women's Property Act of 1848. So here we find something happening in the Bible in 1848 BC that didn't happen in our country until 1848 AD. Uh, Job was literally about 3,696 years ahead of his time, just like Jesus. And in this way, he foreshadows the ministry of Jesus. It says in verse 14, the first daughter he named Jemima, the second Kezia, and the third Karen Hapak. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man and full of years. And so Job suffered, but Job persevered through that suffering, and God gave him the victory at the end of his suffering. And so how, now here's another picture of Jesus in the book of Job. Uh, Jesus is our suffering Savior in the same way that Job and his suffering foreshadowed Jesus. Jesus, when he came, became our uh, suffering um, Savior. Uh, first of all, the suffering of Jesus. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Uh, Peter writes, 1 Peter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. And then the perseverance of Jesus. Hebrews 12, verse 2, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, which led then to the victory of Jesus in the last part of verse two, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, Job suffered, persevered through that suffering to victory. Jesus suffered, persevered through that suffering to victory. And now we come to your suffering, your perseverance, and your victory. If in spite of the suffering in your life, if you will persevere, God will eventually give you the victory. As Job foreshadowed Christ, as Christ showed the way, and as he empowers us in our suffering, in your suffering, whatever you're going through right now, whatever area you are suffering in, if you persevere with God's help, he will bring you out the, out the other side uh, to victory. Um, great picture, I think, of the Christian life is, is a marathon. And a couple of weeks ago, our daughter Abby uh, flew out from Washington, D.C., uh, to run the L.A. Marathon with her brother, uh, our son Andrew. And you can see how excited Andrew looks uh, 
anticipating the race. Um, this was Abby's sixth marathon, and it was uh, Andrew's third marathon. And you can see that Andrew is as excited after the marathon as he was before the marathon. You can tell how excited uh, Andrew uh, was. That's pretty much his standard look, which is exactly what you want in an air traffic controller, okay? That, that's what you want right there, that kind of steadiness, that kind of consistency. Not too high and not too low. Uh, that's what you want in your air traffic um, uh, controller. Uh, so the next day, I was driving Abby uh, to LAX uh, for her to fly home. And I asked her, I said, Abby, since I've never run a marathon, what are the spiritual lessons that you have learned, she has learned from mar running marathons. And she gave me these four. Uh, number one is fuel for the future. Uh, marathon is the, about the, uh, I've never run a race where you had to eat during the race or, or drink during the race. Uh, but in a marathon, you have to continue to keep your, your fuel. You have to continue to eat and drink throughout it if you're gonna survive until the end. And she said, you don't fuel for the moment you're in, because you may not be hungry, you may not need it then, but you fuel your body in anticipation of needing it later in the race. And she said, that's just like in the Christian life, how sometimes you study God's word, you read his Bible, not just when you're going through trouble, but when times are good, when it's a, a smooth time in your life. Why, why do you read God's word? Why do you pray? Because you're fueling for the future. So that when that suffering does come, so that when that tragedy does come, when that difficult time in life does come, later in the race, you will go back to what you've learned, grounded in God's word, when you fueled yourself in the past, will prepare you for the future. Number one, fuel for the future. Number two, consistent effort, not consistent speed. When you go up hills in a marathon, you can't maintain consistent speed. You can't run as fast as you did on either downhill or when it's flat. But you keep your effort consistent even if you can't keep your speed consistent. And so right now you might be in a time in your life when you feel like you're running uphill. You feel like, it, like it's all uphill in your life right now. Continue to persevere consistent effort even if you can't go as fast as you did at previous times in your life or previous times in the race. Maintain your effort even if you can't maintain your speed and eventually you're gonna work through to the other side of that hill that you're climbing up right now. Then number three, run the mile that you're in. Maybe you're in a time in life when it feels like you're taking two steps forward where before you felt like you were going three steps forward and you just feel like the, the mile you're in uh, isn't going all that well, that doesn't mean that you won't end the race well. In Christ, if you keep your eyes on him, you will end your race well. Run the mile you're in, even if it's a difficult mile, even if it's a discouraging mile, run the mile you're in, and you'll eventually get through that time, and God will give you victory at the end. And then number four, run to the roar. Run to the roar. That is, run, persevere, 
anticipating the finish line and the roar of the crowd of heaven, the affirmation of Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of that Lord. Run to the roar. Can you hear it? Can you hear the roar of heaven right now? You may feel like you're all by yourself. You may feel like you're all alone. All you can hear is your own footsteps. But can you hear it in the distance? That's the roar of heaven. Persevere. Run to the roar. Uh, Abby has run the Marine Corps Marathon three times in Washington, D.C., the Chicago Marathon twice, and now the L.A. Marathon. But her dream is to run the New York City Marathon. And, and here's one of the reasons she wants to run the New York City Marathon. This is from the New York City Marathon website. One of the most celebrated moments of the New York City Marathon is at mile 16, where runners emerge from the silent stretch of the Queensboro Bridge onto Manhattan's First Avenue and into what's called the Wall of Sound. Thousands of spectators line the straight stretch of the avenue, waiting to cheer runners into the Bronx and beyond. So, so in this race on the Queensboro Bridge, uh, they say that there are no spectators because it's on a bridge. And so all you can hear is your footsteps and the footsteps around you. You, you don't hear any cheering. And are you in a time in your life when you can't hear the cheers? It's a discouraging time. It's a difficult time in your race. You're suffering and you feel like you're all alone and all you can hear is your footsteps. But then they say, when you get beyond the bridge, you go into Manhattan, into this wall of sound, thousands of people shouting and cheering and, and, and eventually, uh, through that encouragement, you get to the finish line when you finish the race. Run to the roar. Are you discouraged today, my wonderful friend and, and family member from Purpose Church? Are you discouraged? Do you feel all alone? Do you feel like it's just you and your footsteps on the bridge, nobody cheering? You're all on your own. Listen for the roar of heaven. Listen for Jesus' voice in the distance. Uh, uh, Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And so your suffering, Peter talks about in 1 Peter 5, verse 10, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself, compared to eternity, whatever we're suffering, compared to eternity, it's all a little while. Peter suffered a great deal. Paul suffered a great deal. All the disciples suffered a great deal. But they said, compared to eternity, it is suffering a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and, and steadfast. Your perseverance, persevere, Whatever you're going through, whatever suffering you're going through, Hebrews 12, verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, listen for the roar of heaven. Listen to the cheering of heaven. 
Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's so easily entangled. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And eventually we will come to our victory. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Job suffered, persevered to victory. Jesus suffered, persevered to victory. By the grace of God, I just pray that in some way this message has been encouraging to you. Whatever you're suffering, whatever you're going through, persevere. Can you hear the roar in the distance? That's the victory that eventually is coming through our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's family said, amen and amen.